You're listening to the Great Synth 68 Podcast, the dedicated Birmingham City women's audio show bringing you the latest news and interviews from the club. Enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 42 of the Great Synth 68 Podcast, the dedicated weekly women's football podcast about all things Birmingham City. I'm joined as usual by Kaz Smith and Chris Pugh. But we're not alone this week, and I don't mean aliens, although he is alien to this show as he's making his first appearance on the podcast. We are pleased to welcome journalist Richard Lafferty to the show. How are you tonight, Rich? I'm very good, thanks. Thanks for uh, accepting my offer to come on. That's uh, that's all right. You're very welcome. How how are you, um, Kaz and Chris, tonight? I'm good, thank you. Very well, thank you, Craig. Yeah. Glad to hear it. Now, you've written for a variety of publications, Rich, over the time as your, uh, as a sports writer for the likes of She Kicks magazine, These Football Times, and Our Game magazine. How did you get started in sports writing, and in particular, the women's game? Uh, I got involved in sports writing like anybody else. I went to university. I always wanted to do it. Um, in terms of women's football, it was a little bit by luck. I was doing a uni project, and I was working with Leeds United ladies at the time, and they had a fantastic team, obviously, back then, just before the WSL. And, and then, obviously, they, like many teams have done since, decided that they, well, they, their backers didn't want to go with the WSL. And it, it suddenly became a really interesting story to follow through uni as this whole new team built up with players like Amy Turner and Leah Galton and Millie Bright and kind of stuck with it from there. And, and it's gone from one thing to another, really. I never expected it to become such a... A permanent thing but obviously the game has grown and, and there's more opportunities now for, for writers and for people to talk about women's football and, and obviously guys like yourself as well um, doing podcasts which is great and five six years on now and uh, here we are. As a writer is there any particular writer be it sports or otherwise that inspires you to improve? I mean in the women's game obviously People like Jen and Tony Layton were sort of the main writers when I came into it. And, you know, Tony, we all said Tony was the godfather of women's football. He'd been doing it since I was a kid, to be honest with you. And Jen, obviously, with She Kicks. In terms of football as a whole, not really. I mean, I just, I've just always enjoyed writing features. So I suppose feature writers, people who do long-form journalism, you know, I was never interested in writing about who was buying which car or buying what house, which is a good job because there's not many people in women's football buying Ferraris. So, yeah, it's it's been enjoyable and it's great that, you know, I've got two people, two editors who kind of just let me do what I want and get on with it, to be honest. Absolutely, that sounds great. And more recently, though, you've started working as the media officer for Sheffield United women's side as well as their men's youth sides. How have you found it so far working with Sheffield? Yeah, I've enjoyed it. It's um, it's a strange balancing act, you know, being a journalist and then being a press officer as well. It's, it's strange, you know, you, you get a lot of access, you're in the team meetings, you know, you're at the team hotel, you're staying over with the team, you're eating with the team, you know, you're around the team the whole time, really, which it's such a contradictory thing to, to being a writer or being a journalist, but it is enjoyable, you know, I've known Wardy for a while from, from Sheffield FC and you know, it was nice that she asked me to sort of get involved and that she wanted me to do the job. So, yeah, it's been great. A lot of long journeys and you sort of see why 
you see a lot of realities of why it's so hard for part-time footballers you know when you're away for the whole weekend and, and people have got jobs and people have got kids you know it's so difficult but you know in terms of the job I'm, I'm really enjoying it. We'll go into the first game of two for England then and it was a 3-0 win for England with debutants Chioma Ubogagu and Georgia Stanway on the score sheet. Rachel Daly rounded up the list of goal scorers. My thoughts on this one are England looked a bit shaky defensively in the first half. We did score, of course, but never looked really settled. It was actually Austria's defensive frailties that led to the first two, for two of the goals at least, and then a bit of brilliance, Georgia Stanway with a great strike for the other goal. What about you, Rich? What did you think of this one? Yeah, I I think I'd pretty much go along with that. I mean, it was a... It was a whole new eleven, pretty much cobbled together with the fact that Phil was determined to give every single player back, Chloe Kelly, who was obviously drafted in, a start over the two games. So we had a, a pretty makeshift back four that probably hadn't played together. Same with the midfield, same with the attack. But you know, Austria, are, you know, they showed last year they're a solid side, and it wasn't a fantastic game. You know, it was never going to be, but to come away with a three-nil win and. A lot of players who needed a lot of minutes um, going into the World Cup. You know, there'll be a lot of players in that team who probably won't start at the World Cup, but a lot of them will go. So, yeah, I think it was probably a worthwhile experiment. In the end, performance wasn't fantastic, but I think I said on Twitter at the time it was never going to be when you basically put in the, the second team out. Yeah, I, I, I kind of agree with that. Um, Kaz, what did you think of this game? It wasn't the like obviously free flowing game that we were were used to with England, but like Richard's just said, we had eleven players out there, a couple of them making the debuts as well. So it was always going to be a bit of a tough game, but I'm glad that George Stanway got a goal because she I think she's deserved her call up. Yeah, she's she's obviously had great form for Manchester City, and she's proven that she can bring that onto England stage. Um, in terms, of, as you say, uh, Rich, it was an experimental lineup. But uh, from a tactical sense, I felt that he, Phil Neville, still not trying to get the best out of his players. With when you've got the likes of Lucy Staniforth, who's primarily an attacking midfielder, and she's been playing quite deep, and obviously it's not really suits her game. And she's probably had one of the worst games she's had for England in her short time with the with the national team in this particular game. She had that one moment, of course, that seventy yard pass to Chloe Kelly late on that uh, it kind of went against what Neville wanted. He wanted her to play out, out wide. What the uh, You could hear him shouting from the sideline in this one. Uh, what did you think of that, Rich? Yeah, I think I agree with the overall sentiment. I don't think the team... I don't think it's balanced yet. And, and as you say, there are probably a few players that are being used, probably not in the position, obviously, they would be in the league. But, you know, like I said, I think it was just about every single player was going to start these games, you know, come what may. And I think Kira, Kira pulling out was probably bigger than Fran because Kira really is kind of our only defensive midfielder, you know, until Jade Moore works her way back into the squad. So with her out, it was kind of a needs must, you know, Izzy and Jill played there against Sweden. As you said, Lucy played a little bit deeper against Austria. I don't think it'll be a permanent thing by any means. I think it was very much kind of a, a needs-must situation in that he wanted to get every single player a start and, you know, it, it didn't suit Stan. You know, I thought she had a poor game. But, you know, not entirely her fault. But, you know, those players that like her that are on the cusp, you know, that you probably wouldn't say are definites to go to the World Cup. It, it, you know, they can't afford games like that at the minute. Players like her, probably players like Gabby, players like Beth Mead, players like Mel Lawley, who are kind of 
on the fringes now, you know, there's probably a lot more pressure on them. And I think Phil said after the game that Lucy and maybe one or two others don't quite fully believe that they're England players yet. And I think that's something that it's going to be interesting to see if that changes over the next six, seven months. Yeah, absolutely. And for what you said, I think Gabby George had quite a good game at left-back. Some people, obviously, she's not uh, got the experience at that level yet, but I thought she had a good game for what it's worth. The final point on this game is basically the introductions of uh, Chioma Ubergagu and uh, Chloe Kelly to the squad. One is relatively unknown to most fans of the Women's Super League and the other, no disrespect meant, but is an Everton striker who is hardly firing goals week after week, but is instead in a side that is rock bottom of the Women's Super League table. I know you have thoughts on this one, Chris. I, th- I think they're, they're very fortunate. Um, you know, obviously we we don't see... Uh, as much of uh, players like Ubu Gagu um, than we do for players in the WSL. Um, but back based, purely based on her stats last season, that they suggest that she didn't um, set the uh, NWSL alight last season. And, and Chloe Kelly, like you say, you know, she's, she's clearly a talented player and she's come through the, the youth ranks with England. So, you know, there's... There's clearly been coaches earmarking her from a young age, but from the bits I've seen of her, you know, when when obviously Blues have played Everton and in the uh, under 19s tournament in Northern Ireland, uh, I think it was, was it last 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 summer. You know, you don't want to slam players, but you know, I, th- I think they're both pretty fortunate to be given international call-ups. You know, in a, in a week where we're talking in the men's team about you know Wayne Rooney. You know, people criticising caps being being gifted away. It feels a little bit like that in this situation. You know, Phil Neville is still uh, less than a year into the into his reign, so maybe maybe his choice is is that he wants to see as many players as as physically possible um, in an England shirt. But yeah, I, I think they were fortunate to get call ups. Obviously, Uber Gagu scored, but you know, it was. Um, it was handed to her on a plate, as you mentioned early on. But yeah, I, I think they can consider themselves a little bit fortunate to get call-ups. Do you agree with that, Rich? Yeah, in a way. I mean, I think with, with Ubergagu, she's interesting. You know, I remember her from Arsenal and she was very unorthodox, but she scored a lot of goals that season. I think she scored six league goals and she also scored in the cup final. I think, you know, she brings a bit more balance. She's left-footed. She's very, very, you know, I went straight out when she got called up and I spoke to a few people who who know Chi, who played with her or coached her, and, you know, the, the same words came up fast, technical, you know, left-footed, can, can do something a little bit different, and maybe we need that. You know, I think I would have liked to have seen her against Sweden, actually, because we were struggling so much to break them down that maybe we needed a player like her with Chloe, yeah, I'll, I'll be honest, I was probably surprised that she was the one that went with the squad, but I think circumstance dictated it a little bit. I mean, the plan was to bring a few of the 21s into the camp on the Friday when they came back from Austria. Unfortunately, some of the players that Phil wanted to bring in are injured or had to pull out of the squad, and Chloe then got drafted in actually for the full week. Phil just said, look, I'm just going to bring one in. We needed another attacker with Fran out of the squad, um, and and it was great experience for Chloe, you know, to spend the whole week at St George's Park, first team environment, training with them every day, travelling to Austria, and then obviously coming on and making a debut as well. You know, it's not just the ninety minutes; the whole experience would have been massive 
for Chloe. And yeah, she's probably on form, doesn't deserve it. But I mean, I think it's hard at Everton at the minute, the way it's been there for anybody to to be in good form. I saw a lot of her at the under-20s in France and I was quite impressed, actually. She was very hard-working, which not something I ever really associated her with, but her you know, tracking back was was unbelievable and, and she was very, very good up front. And, you know, with the under-20s, Phil will take advice from from Mo Miley more than anyone and, and if Mo's recommended her, then, you know, there's definitely something there. So I was surprised, yeah, but, you know, good experience and... I don't think it'll become a permanent thing, but you know I'm not going to knock her for it. I think it was it was great to see her come on, and, and obviously she nearly scored as well, and she'd probably be good. But yeah, I think Ubagagu could be interesting. Looking forward, I'd like to see her in the squad again. I think there's no point bringing someone in, giving them one game, and then sort of kicking them out again. You know, we need to see more of her, which is again a little bit. I'm surprised there's no games in January, but there we go. That's that, and. Yeah, so probably a little bit surprised, but in a pleasant way in some ways. Moving on to the second of the games this week then, and England took on Sweden in Rotherham and suffered a 2-0 defeat. Goals from Sofia Jakobsen and Anna Anvergaard. The difference between the two sides. It was Steph Houghton's 100th cap for England. A great achievement for any player, right Kaz? 100 caps for your country. I think that's anybody's dream to pull that shirt on and wear it with pride like she does. Yeah, absolutely. It was a day to forget, though, for the England captain as the Lionesses succumbed to Sweden. Before we get into the game, though, watching this game back, what are everyone's thoughts on the England band? I felt they drowned out any chance of creating an organic atmosphere at the England Games, and maybe their time has passed. What do you think, Rich? Ban the band. Ban the band. <laughs> ban the band. I mean, I'm Who used the hell? to it, to be fair. Baby Shark. Why play Baby Shark? Chris, have you got any thoughts on it? <laughs> I've got yeah, I've, I've got a few thoughts on it. Yeah, <laughs> it's a, a family environment atmosphere, isn't it? That's what that's what the FA want to want to produce. That's what they want to sell. They want to sell the women's game as as a, as a family environment to get kids involved. And I suppose when you say it like that, it's not a terrible thing that they want to get kids involved. Obviously, we, we we want kids to young kids to to be interested in the game. We want people to attend the game. But yeah, from when you're looking at it from a, a, a sporting perspective, and you know you're, you're trying to watch the game as, as a as a football spectacle, then it's difficult. Yeah, it's it's certainly not helpful listening to that nonsense in the crowd. But. Onto the action on the pitch then, and I thought the first goal was well worked by Sweden. I think it was Samuelsson who pulled Alex Greenwood out wide, which left a gap in the defence that Jill Scott moved across to fill, and then Jakobsen found space and killed the shot over Carly Telford and into the net. What did you think of this, Rich? Yeah, I mean, we were poor. It was a poor performance. It was probably the poorest performance we've put in under Phil this year. Uh, the first goal... Like you said, Samuelson's dragged Greenwood away and Beth Mead has, she's let Jakobsen cut in far too easily. She's got all the time in the world. No defender comes out to close her down. We haven't obviously got the natural defensive midfielder in there who would usually be in that position. Izzy and Jill are not used to doing that kind of role and great finish, you can't knock her for that. But we were just, you know, we Phil said it after the game, we were slow, we were... but. You know, the biggest worry for me still is that, like I said, mitigating circumstances because we didn't have a defensive midfielder and we've not had our first choice left back for a long time. But there's just, 
something's gone with the defence from when Mark Sampson was in charge and unfortunately the same attacking issues are there that we just cannot create chances and, and on the odd occasion that we do in these big games we're not taking them so there's a lot to work on I'm not entirely sure what the answers are but I think it can be fixed I think the personnel's definitely there I obviously don't see what goes on in training apart from the odd 15 minutes that we get down at St George's Park but yeah, wasn't good. It wasn't a good performance. Yeah, there was a there was a bit of, yeah, of an ease to the second goal as well. England sharing frailties from a corner, failing to clear the ball, and Houghton and Scott had to run out to intercept. And obviously, then they leave the gap behind, and Anvergaard gets into space and turns on the ball and fires into the net. Chris, how did you see this one? Did you agree with that? Yeah, it's it's really poor. Um, you know, but from set pieces, this England side of Probably won't happen very often tonight, but I agree with Rich since, you know, what I'm not sure what has happened, but the defence, the back four, especially from set pieces, they just look, they look shaky, you know, and, and you think, you know, predominantly Man City and, you know, the, the two centrals are from Man City and Chelsea, two sides that, that um, are predominantly pretty strong from set pieces, uh, defensively and offensively. But yeah, when, when they're all put together in an England side that over the last six months or so, they have looked really susceptible. And defensively, there, there needs to be a hell of a lot to be looked at because if we go up, you know, that, that Sweden side played OK. You know, I, I think that they're, they're, they're a better Sweden than we've seen in the last couple of tournaments. But, you know, I wouldn't expect them to win the World Cup. So when, we come in, when we're up, coming up against even better opponents than that, then, then you really do worry about us defensively. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, as uh, Rich mentioned, I think it was without that dedicated defensive midfielder player, we just seem to be struggling. And it's kind of a domino effect in the fact that when we don't have that player, we have to get a makeshift player in that. And then they, as a result, the likes of Jordan Nobbs and Izzy Christensen have to go out of their preferred positions into a position they're not familiar with. And you're wasting both the talents of the player and you're actively making them worse because they're trying to have to play a role that they're not used to. Isn't that right? That's a fair comment. I don't think the lack of a defensive midfielder, you throw Kira Walsh or Jade Moore in, in that side in midfield, you still don't defend that set piece any better, you know, with, with, a, with a defensive midfielder on it. There's plenty to be looked at, there's plenty to be worked on. It was not the time to put in a performance like that. You know, we, we want to see this side, you know, performing well and, and looking confident and looking looking like everybody knows their roles and responsibilities six seven months before before a world cup and you know that 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 performance obviously i didn't see a lot of the austria game but that performance and i thought the performance against australia as well there's definitely signs that there's players in that squad who aren't comfortable and that word balance um shape you know it it looks all over the place at the moment yeah and as we're going forward as well i think Lucy Bronze is quite, it may be more used to playing a bit more direct with Leon because she can have the freedom to do so. But with the likes of Ellen White out of the squad, it's hard to play the likes of Rachel Daly. She didn't really, she struggled a bit as the lone striker in the target man role against Sweden. Do you, do you think that's a problem, Rich? We haven't got really that physical presence up front when Ellen White's injured. Yeah, I think it's Ellen. Obviously, Jordan Taylor as well kind of offers that too. But a team like England shouldn't be relying on a physical presence. You know, we, we've got, well, obviously we didn't have Frank Herbie for this camp, but, you know, Rach has been banging form for Houston. You know, Tony Duggan, 
having a really good time out in Barcelona. Keats is obviously on fire for Man City and that form hasn't quite transpired for England. But, I mean, the other thing I'd remember, you know, it's obviously there's been a big change in style. Marx was very much defence first, direct football. So the defence constantly had a lot of protection. You know, the midfield were kind of always sitting right on top of them. And when you move away from that and you're getting the ball down and the midfield's higher up the pitch, you're going to be a bit more susceptible defensively. But, you know, that's something we need to work on. But, you know, at least under Mark, if you said, well, you know, we're not scoring a lot of goals, you always felt you had a chance because we kept so many clean sheets. Whereas now we're still not scoring goals, but, you know, we're not keeping clean sheets. And it's kind of... You know, the France match at the start of the year was fantastic and it seemed to click straight away and you were thinking, wow, you know. And even against Germany, you know, Ellen scored the two goals and we were poor defensively. I mean, against Germany, that was probably as poor defensively as it's been. The two goals were an absolute disgrace that we conceded against Germany, but we were scoring goals. And since then, it's it's just kind of reverted a little bit back to what it was like under Mark. And I, I agreed, you know, some people said Brazil and Australia, the football was good and it was. I, th- I thought we played very well without taking the chances. But against Sweden, we just didn't play well at all. And, you know, you've got to hope it's a one-off, but it's not going to get any easier because our next three games now are going to be USA, Japan and um, Brazil. So, you know, Japan, the way they play football, if we defend like that, you know, they'll have a laugh. They beat Norway 4-1 the other day and, the US of the US, you know, they're so difficult to beat. So we need to have a good she believes and I think we'll know more of, of where we are after that. Hopefully we will. And Kaz, any any further thoughts on the games as a whole before we move on? I just think he's picked players that are in form for the club. And then he's picked players that shouldn't be in the squad. It's just he needs to get the right balance. We all know what Nikita Paris can do. But Beth Mead is an out-and-out goal scorer and she just didn't look like playing up front on her own. There was no service to her. The midfield was like literally non-existent. I can't say a bad word about the defence because it's Millie and Steph and who can you get to replace it? And don't say Aoife Mannion because that's my first my first thought, Chris. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I was going to say I'd be McManus. But... Do you know what I mean? How the hell do the likes of Alex Greenwood get get in the squad, it's just baff- it just baffles me. That's all I'm saying on the matter. I, I think what, what I would say as well, after the, the squad was announced, it looked pretty. You know, obviously, there's a there's a lack of options. You know, with with, with Kira Walsh pulling out and Jade Moore not being fit, but you know, it, the squad announcement just looked like it was going to be, you know, Jordan Nobbs playing in a in a defensive role, which he's used her before. Obviously, the way she's played for Arsenal, with you know, people have been screaming out for for him to use Jordan in that in that more advanced role, um, and she actually was against Sweden, but we we never got the ball to her enough, you know. In you know, for the first twenty minutes, she hardly touched the ball in 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 Sweden's half, which is you know, the, the, there's no point. You know, she might as well be playing as one of the d- defensive two. In that case, I think he sort of in his head, it, it feels like he knows he's. The, the, the eleven that he wants, but if if that was what it was against Sweden, then you know that that that's a worry. Injuries permitting, obviously, but listen, whether we like it or not, that back two is going to be that back two. 
the front three will, will probably be that, maybe with Kirby in for for Daly. For me, just it feels like very much that the good performances that we've had, the good results that we've had, have been down to uh, individuals getting us out of bother with, with with the with the talent and ability that they've got. And maybe maybe you could throw that at every international club. I'm not sure. Maybe. Maybe sometimes if you have got individual ability, it gets you out of it gets you out of problems nine times out of ten. But it didn't on Sunday, you know. And we looked a very average side on Sunday, um, you know. And I think I think the likes of Kirby and Nobbs will get us out of trouble against average teams because they're so good. But in big games, that's where you need that's where you need a coach and. And, and somebody who knows who knows those players and who knows how to change a game. He made the subs and it was it was like for like. You know, he didn't he didn't look like he moved anything around. He didn't look like he had any any idea of how to how to stifle Sweden and, and, and get around them apart from changing changing the personnel. It's just a little bit disappointing really. Rich, any final thoughts before we move on? I never read too much into friendlies and this is a conversation I've had with colleagues a lot about you know, they don't matter at the end of the day. There's kind of a bigger purpose with them. As I said, with these two, I think it was always going to be every single player was going to start a game, come what may, even if it meant playing out of position, which, you know, obviously out in Austria, as you said, Lucy played a bit deeper. Gabby was at left back. And Izzy and Jill were at the two defensive midfield spots. I think with Jordan and with Fran, we've we kind of got this weird issue, sort of a bit like when we had Lampard and Gerrard on the men's team. And, and even though they are different positions for their clubs, they're kind of competing for a similar role in the England team. And, you know, Phil, I might be guessing, I think when he came in, Fran was in the form of a life at Chelsea and obviously Ellen White was in the form of a life at Birmingham. And he probably came in, you know, as the new guy thinking... I can't drop one of those players. You know, I have to get them both in my team. And I think Fran playing just off Ellen was was a smart move, but he's almost been snookered by the fact that Ellen then got injured and has been out for a long time. And it was probably a good opportunity to put Fran back up there, but he's kind of stuck with it. You know, maybe he's thinking when Ellen's back, that's going to be the plan again. But, I mean, I thought Fran actually worked quite well there against Brazil and Australia. You know, she popped up obviously with a goal in both games, but the problem with Fran playing there, if we're going to stick with a four-two-three-one, Jordan is always going to play deeper, and I think that's an issue. You know, she played the ten role against Sweden, but I don't think she needs to play there either. I don't think Jordan's a ten. She's certainly not a four. I think Jordan is one of those players. Yeah, you just let Jordan roam. Yeah, you just she's one of those players. You just you do what you want. You go box to box. You do whatever you need. You get on the ball. Is there room in this team if Ellen comes? I mean, if Ellen comes back and, and she doesn't rekindle a form, might be the best thing that happens for Phil Neville. But if she does, you've got this big issue about how do you fit Frank Kirby and Jordan Nobbs in your team and get the best out of both of them. Yeah, I think yeah. I think you've hit the nail on the head there, Rich. Before we get into the head-to-head between Chris and Rich, I thought I'd uh, ease you in with a few some questions, Rich. Uh, I've selected a few from all that we've received. I'll start with a few of my own, though. Uh, you spoke to Birmingham City manager Mark Skinner earlier this year. As someone from the outside, what do you think of him and what he's, what he's trying to accomplish at Blues? Yeah, I think he's done a fantastic job. Um, he came in with big shoes to fill. You know, it was a little bit, it's almost a bit like England, isn't it? You know, Birmingham went from this very 
defensive direct style of football under Marcus and David where they were so hard to beat, you know, so they were frustrating to watch almost in a way because they were so hard to, I remember watching the Conley Cup final against Man City and it was just, you just didn't know what they were going to do, but obviously very, very rarely scored goals. You know, I think the year you nearly won the league, Kaz was the top scorer with five or six goals and I think half of those were penalties. And Marcus, obviously, without changing the personnel too much, he's completely changed the style of play and, you know, it took a while. And, you know, maybe there are parallels there to Phil at the minute. You know, Phil's taking a while to to get that new style and with Mark, it, it took a long time and, you know, he said in his interview he started to doubt himself, some fans were doubting him and, you know, now he's very much reaping the rewards. Hopefully that happens with England, but... Yeah, I think Mark's Mark's doing a really good job. You know, he's been very unlucky to lose Ellen for the period that that he has because you probably don't have another natural goal scorer of her talents. But he's a great guy as well. You know, I get on with him very, very well, and he's he's open, he's honest. Um, I think anybody who read that interview can tell he wears his heart on his sleeve. You know, he's very passionate about Birmingham, and yeah, I think he's doing a I think he's doing a very, very good job. Absolutely, and I'm glad he comes across the same way as he comes across to all us Blues fans. A question on attendances now. Do you think the way the FA markets towards families and kids is actually detrimental for the growth of the game? A lot of fans who go to football matches are predominantly adult fans, and they're ultimately the ones who will put more money into clubs through ticket sales and merchandising. I've had this discussion a lot over the last few years. There's no reason we can't you know, appeal to both. I think... You're right, we do have a lot of adults, but yeah, I think the FA have been very, very big on getting young girls particularly involved. And I think we've seen with the marketing campaigns before the Euros with Disney, with Little Mix, uh, um, you know, it's a big thing, free tickets for, for kids, you know, for FA Cup finals and things. That is good. We want more young girls because we want them to play football. You know, we want them to be inspired. And it's great if young boys want to come along as well. There's no reason we can't have both. I think I understand why they're trying to appeal to a younger audience. Uh, It's just kind of set us up. It's to set the foundations up for the next 20, 30, 40 years. And hopefully, you know, some of these girls are inspired enough that they start playing and they can come in and, and, you know, be footballers in the WSL or for England one day because you do have to start somewhere. But... It's a difficult one, I think. I think it is. I think Chris said it earlier. You know, it's a family atmosphere, women's football, and I think that's why a lot of people like it. I saw a lot of complaints the first time Man United played at home that it was a very, it was a different atmosphere because there was a lot of fans that had come from the men's side because they didn't have a, a women's fan base, and it was a very different atmosphere. And I think some people didn't like that, so. Maybe it's one of those be careful what you wish for situations. I don't know, but there's no reason we can't appeal to both. You know, it doesn't just have to be kids, but I think it will always probably be sort of 60-40 or 70-30 that way, just because of the the participation, the grassroots, the sister clubs, things like that. The sister clubs have been a fantastic initiative. I think, you know, we give the FA a lot of stick, but I think that's been one of the best things they've done in the last couple of years, bringing the sister clubs in. A question from Paul now. Interest in women's football is apparently growing, but it's still hard to find coverage on mainstream TV or radio. 
England's win over Austria barely made the sports news bulletins. Do you think a good World Cup will finally trigger the breakthrough through the barrier? Hmm. Yeah, it's another conversation I've had a lot, but I mean, it, it did in 2015, obviously, but it was very short term. And I think it's like anything, you know, the interest peaks for a little bit and and then it goes back to normal. You know, we all sit and watch the World Cup. We all sit and watch the Euros. And I think the attendances went up a lot after the World Cup and there was a lot of media around. And then it just goes back to normal. And it was the same with Phil. You know, there was a massive furore around Phil being hired and... You know, there was so much media at his first unveiling and people were saying, oh, this is going to change women's football. And then it just went back to normal. So it might change it at, at national level. It might bring more interest for England. I think I think filling out WSL stadiums and, and getting thousands through the door at every stadium is a long, long, long way away. I really do. We just have this attitude in this country where we don't embrace it. You know, you see it all the time. Comments on the BBC, comments on Sky, people saying they don't care, you know, derogatory comments. And I think that's just how we are. I just don't think that's going to change. I hope it does. I hope I'm wrong. But I don't think it will. It might help England. It might. There might be more interest at a national level. But I think the league, I don't want to say it's fighting a losing battle. I really hope it isn't. But... I think it's really tough. The next question is from Abdul. What three things would you change right now if you had the power to do so in the leagues? I'd like every team to have their own stadium. Um, it doesn't have to be massive, but just enough you know, for it to help the scheduling issues that games aren't getting moved because the men's team are using them or you know, the pitch is being relayed. You know, Not so much a problem now with the winter season, but it happened a lot during the summer season. I think that would be... The biggest thing, I'd love to be able to pump more money into it so that could happen. Maybe those two things go hand in hand, you know, to give clubs more money because the fees they get now, you know, I, I can't see it helping a huge amount, if I'm being honest. But, yeah, I'm not sure, to be honest. I mean, there's, there's so much you could change, you know, little things. But I, I would love to see every team have their own ground. I really would. Just their own dedicated small stadiums to to just ease the scheduling so that teams aren't moving all the time. You know, we see teams move stadiums every single season. How many, probably half the top two tiers at least move stadiums this summer. And you can't build a fan, you know, you can't build a fan base. Reading are playing in Wickham and you've got Everton now up in Southport. Brighton have just moved 30 miles to Crawley and you just think, what's going on? You know, I don't like that. It'd be the main thing I'd change probably. A question from friend of the show, Chris now. The now defunct under-23 squad played the Nordic tournament in August. Why do you believe, Rich, that none of the 20-woman squad have earned call-ups for the senior squad since then, despite players younger than them getting the nod ahead of them? It's a tough one. I mean, you probably have to ask the manager rather than me, but yeah, I think it's difficult um, to, to... There's so many players. I mean, the 23 squad that, that last got called up, you look at a lot of them and think, have they missed the boat a little bit? Some of them, you know, in terms of their moves with their clubs and football moves so fast. And I think the 20s, particularly such a... Or the, the 20s as it was at the World Cup, with your Russos and your Hemp's and your Stanways and your Roebucks and your Fisks, it's kind of one of those teams you look at a little bit like the the 19s team that won the Euros when it was Duggan and Nobbs and Bronze and players like that you'd look to them and thought there's five six of them that will play for England 
And when you've got those coming through, you know, conscientiously, you're always going to have it in your head. They're the ones I need to bring in. They're the ones that can be a mainstay. Stan Way will be in the England squad for the next 10, 15 years. Probably so will Roebuck. Probably eventually so will Hemp and Russo and maybe one or two others. And I think it's always about long-term planning. It's a harsh world. Football, you can only pick 23 players. It's difficult. And I think these days you have to be so good at the right moment. You need to have a bit of luck as well, um, as some players have in terms of when they've got their breaks for their country. I think it's just a cutthroat environment now. You know, the pool of players for England, there's probably 40, 45 players that could justify being called up and you can only take 23. And for some, that moment probably has already gone because you've, people are even talking now about Lauren James and, you know, Jess Park and players like that who are only just coming on the scene. But, you know, England will be looking at that and thinking, we've got these players coming through, you know, do you want to bring somebody else in or do you want to wait for them? It's, it's a difficult one. The next question comes from a fan of the show, Laurie. And this one is for Rich, Chris and Kaz. Neville is going to have a discussion regarding whether the players should go on social media during the World Cup in France, considering that the support from home during both the England men's and the under-20 women's World Cup had a positive effect on the players. Do you think they should be allowed to use it freely throughout the tournament? Yeah, I mean, uh, the players are adults. You know, they do have a lot of social media lectures at St George's Park on camp, you know, about what players can do, what they can do, you know, do they want to be on it? How do they deal with, you know, the comments that they get? And obviously that's been pretty prevalent really with what happened with Kaz Carney. But yeah, it's an, for me, I'd let them be on it. It's not a problem. I think, you know, they're adults. Um, they're responsible. You know, they're not children. We shouldn't treat them like children. Um, yeah, they can do what they want. For all I care, it's not a problem to me. I think, yeah, if they want to be on social media, fine by me. Chris, what about you? Yeah, per- personal preference for me. Um, you know, like Rich said, I'm, I'm sure all of them at some point have, have had some idiot say something to them on Twitter. It's how you, you know, it's how you react to it. The, the Carney thing was in the news, obviously, which which may may make this a little bit more prevalent but yeah i think um if they want to use it then let them use it uh, I, I think back to the to the world cup the the semi-final with bassett you know the the amount the amount of support laura bassett got during that time if some you know god forbid something happens again like that to an england player but if it does then you know the the support they'll receive on on social media will be i'm, I'm sure just 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 as it was for for laura back four years ago so yeah, yeah, more than welcome to it as far as I'm concerned. What about you, Kaz? I think it's uh, if the players want to use it, then obviously let them. It's like if they're having a bad day and the fans want to talk to them type thing, then it's always there for them to pick themselves up. Do you know what I mean? But it's each to their own, I think. A fun question next from Adam. As England have played this past week, what would your squads be if you were to pick them now for the next World Cup? I gave everyone a little bit of time to prepare this because I knew it was going to be a, a, a talking point to kick things off. It's going to be if fun, we, this is. If, if we start with just goalkeepers, first of all, if uh, Kaz, you want to go first? Who are your three goalkeepers? If you've chosen three, that is. I've got four. Okay. Ooh. Right, so obviously Sophie Bagley, Carly Telford 
and I couldn't choose between Rubok or KB. So you brought brought both of the, the city keepers, that's fair enough. Yeah. Rich, how about you? I've got Carly Telford, Karen Barsley and Ellie Roebuck. Chris? Ellie Roebuck, Sophie Bagley and Mary Earps. What? <laughs> I'll, I'll say mine before Kaz explodes. <laughs> Car- Carly Telford, Karen Bardsley and Sophie Bagley for me. Moving on to defenders. Uh, who did we start with last time? Kaz. Kaz, do you want to go? Lucy Bronze, Millie Bright, Steph Horton, Jess Carter. What? Aoife <laughs> Mannion and Megan Sargent. Over to you, Rich. I've got tin hat time here. I've got Lucy Bronze, Steph Horton, Millie Bright, Leah Williamson, Demi Stokes, Aoife Mannion and Abby McManus. That's not so bad, Rich. Over to you, Chris. <laughs> um, I've got eight. Lucy Bronze and Hannah Blundell, Steph Horton, Aoife Mannion, Millie Bright, Leah Williamson, Demi Stokes and Rachel Daly as a left wing back. You're quite close to me, Chris, with us. I've got Lucy Bronze, Hannah Blundell, Demi Stokes, Keris Harrop, Aoife Mannion, Steph Houghton, Millie Bright and Leah Williamson. Over to... It was Kaz, wasn't it? Kaz, midfielders? Yeah. Right. If fit, yeah. Jade Moore, Kira Walsh, Jordan Nobbs, Mel Lawley, Lucy Staniforth and Georgia Staniway. Well, if Kira Walsh is unfit, then I'd take Jill Scott. Okie doke. Over to you, Rich. I'll be honest at this stage, I've actually only got 22 players, so I might, have to add, I might have to add another midfielder in or a striker. I'm not sure yet, so don't shout at me. Um, I've got Jordan, Jill, Georgia Stanway, Kaz Carney, Kira Walsh, Jade Moore and Farrah Williams and maybe somebody else. Okie doke. Chris? That's interesting. Um, Kira Walsh, Izzy Christensen, Jade Moore, Captain Jordan Nobbs, Lucy Staniforth, Georgia Stanway, and Karen Carney. All good choices. I struggled with some of these because some of these are going to be out of left field, perhaps for some. I've got Gemma Davidson, Mel Lawley, Remy Allen, Kaz Carney, Kira Walsh, Jade Moore, Jordan Nobbs, and Georgia Stanway. Over to you, Kaz again, forwards. Ellen White, Nikita Paris, Geordie Taylor. Beth Mead and Fran Kirby. Okie doke. Over to you, or Rich. slash Natasha Dowie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like the two shouts actually on Davison and Dowie. I don't think it'll happen in a million years, but two players that I think have been vastly underused, but that's another conversation. Um, I've got Rich Daly, Tony Duggan, Ellen White, Nikita Paris and Fran Kirby. And then about 15 players available for this final spot and I have not been able to work out who it's going to be yet well you're having a think uh, Chris uh, yeah Ellen White Fran Kirby Nikita Paris Beth Mead and Tony Duggan and I've got Ellen White Beth Mead Fran Kirby and Nikita Paris I think I think most people are in agreement with the the strikers because they've they're pretty much when if they're all fit they're all going so so we'll move on now uh, on to the fun bit where Chris and Rich can uh, have a little discussion of a few things. We'll start with one of the most talked about topics, the issue of squad selection by Phil Neville. Aoife Mannion mentioned to us that she was on the standby list recently, the closest she's ever got to the squad. Fellow writer Sylvain Germain 
has gone on record to suggest maybe it's Aoife's height that is making Phil hesitant over a call-up despite fine performances every single week. What do you think? What do you think, Rich? Yeah, it's an interesting... I've never really thought of it like that, to be honest. I, I can't imagine that having too much of a say in things, but I think with the defence at the minute, obviously Lucy, Steph, Millie and Demi is probably your starting back four when everybody's fit. Leah has obviously deservedly worked her way in and, you know, where Abby is concerned, I think it is an interesting one, you know, in all seriousness, but Abby's one of those maybe, you know, I mentioned it earlier where I said about timing and luck. When Phil took over, I thought Abby was very much deserving of a place in the squad. I think last season she played consistently at right back, which, you know, it was so tough to fill Lucy Bronze's shoes, but Abby did a you know, she was solid. You know, she played there every game. When she didn't actually get called up for She Believes, I was a little bit disappointed personally. And then obviously she got drafted in. We had these raft of injuries, obviously, and, and she got put on. Whether she would have played or not, I'm not sure. Maybe she would have played one of them. And then Anita gets injured after 15 minutes. And, you know, she comes in to Zabby and she, she took a chance. You know, she was thrown in against three of the best teams in the world. And, you know, she did a good job. Obviously, Millie Bright was busy scoring a couple of own goals and Steph obviously missed the tournament. And I think Abby probably did a good job and, you know, she probably earned Phil's trust on that camp. And this is what, you know, me and Chris were obviously discussing the other week about, you know, away from the pitch that Abby, you know, now will, she knows Phil, Phil knows her. She's probably earned that trust. And a little bit like Mary Earps, I suppose, you know, Mary obviously not playing at the minute, but... She's so ingrained in that squad and, you know, will know Phil and what he requires and Phil will know her and trust her. And once you're in there, once you've got that that trust, once you've got that connection, it's hard to then take them out again. You know, whoever is knocking on the door and, you know, don't get me wrong, Aoife is an unbelievable defender. And as I said, she'd be in my squad. But I think with Abby as well, again, she's so versatile, you know, the reason I didn't put Blundell or Carter or Greenwood in my squad was, you know, you'd get 23 players and Abby can cover so many positions. She wouldn't start, not for me. I think that back four is set in stone. But, you know, if you've got a player on your bench who can come on and play right back, play centre back, play left back, you know, and basically save you three places in the squad that you can use elsewhere, it's a no-brainer for me to have Abby in there. And only if you're any good. <laughs> no, look, I've just reeled off my squad, and my squad is solely based on a three-five-two. Um, mm. You know, and I, I know you you mentioned it on Twitter as well that you, you think that it it would be something with the with the set of players that we've got, and you know, we've everybody tells us that we've got the best right back in the world. Well, why not? Why not utilize her? We, you know, this is this is the problem. Getting the best out of your best players, you, you're telling us we've got the Ballon d'Or winner in Lucy Bronze. So play three at the back and let her bomb forward. Do what she did at the World Cup four years ago, where she, you know, really stood out and made a name for herself. And you know the performances that have probably got her a move to Leon at the end of the day. And Jordan Nobbs, you know, a, a, a three at the back. You can play. You've got three at the back. You can play Jade Moore or Kira Walsh. I'd go more, but 
you know, that's that's my personal preference. But then you, you go out and tell Jordan Nobbs to do whatever she wants. Roam free, do what you do for Arsenal, pick up the ball and carry it, offer light runs into the box like she did against Blues in the last minute, you know, after working her socks off up and down that pitch last Sunday, you know, do, and, and you're still getting into the box in the 90th minute. Go and do that. And you can play Frank Kirby and Ellen White up front in that formation. You know, it's just little things like that. You know, that, that you said that back four is so ingrained. So ingrained. And is it a back four that you're comfortable with going into a World Cup? I'm not saying Neville out. You know, he's been there less than a year. But he's come in. The timing of him coming in is poor. You know, you've got, you've got less than a year. And now we're in a World Cup preparation. I suppose whenever he comes in, whether it's you'll have a, a Euros or a World Cup to prepare for, but it, it just feels like obviously you're going to have your favourites. Every manager's got his favourites. You know, I've I've disagreed with things. Marcus, you know, decisions Marcus made at Blues uh, about players that he obviously had favourites. You know, which you know as well as as anybody. You know that the views people have on on the squad selection. A fellow journalist put the other day um, that there's there's no egos in this squad and no clicks in this squad, but I, I think there's clicks in every squad, and I, and I certainly think there's clicks in this squad as well. Sometimes it's about who you know and who you're mates with, rather than how you're actually playing. It, 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 there is there is definitely a feel about that. Yeah, I, I probably agree with you on certainly what you said with with Jordan. I mean, I, I do. I think for years with England, we've wasted Jordan. I mean, she's got seven goals for England. I think she's got that in the league this season already. You know, she's on the same amount of goals as Lucy Bronze for England. Mm. I think with Lucy, I mean, she can do that in a back four. You know, I do like the idea of a 3-5-2. I mean, but she made a name, you know, playing for England under Mark and, and playing at Man City in a back four. But obviously Man City in 2016 were incredible defensively you know she could go and do what she wanted almost play as a, a winger and they swept everything up you know they conceded one goal from open play all season but you have so much of the ball as well you know that City side and that England side they were a side that you know were, were regimented you know like you said about Samson you know for for all his faults he got that side regimented and they knew what they were doing and that you know the, the City side she played in and the Leon team she plays in now they, they, they were so much better than you know everybody else in that league that it didn't matter whether she bombed on and left gaps at right back because you know by the time the, the other team got the ball back and managed to get into their half she'd be back there anyway but actually this England side isn't that good anymore you know this England side is not a standout and it's not as regimented and it and it's certainly not as as balanced as 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 England teams before. And and there were times on on Sunday where she got where she bombed forward, and there was an awful lot of space on that left hand side. And if Sweden would have utilised it a bit better, you know, they'd have been in. And and the whole the whole issue for me is these bigger games, you know, because quite frankly, you know, as we showed against Austria, you know, Austria were an okay side, you know, a, a decent European side, nothing special. And we played our second, third string and beat them comfortably 3-0. You know, if we have the players who will who will walk over average teams, no matter who plays and no matter what system, because individual talent will get you out of it. But against the better teams, that's where we need to start thinking about these things. 
and and it feels like against the better teams we are going to get picked apart at the moment. Yeah, again, um, I don't necessarily disagree with it. I think I think there are things to to work on. Um, I think obviously how England are playing and and squad selection are two different topics. Uh, in terms of the way we're playing, yeah, I think. I mean, Phil has given them more freedom, certainly, than Mark did, which should suit these players, theoretically. Why it isn't at the minute is a a mystery. I mean, uh, I, I think, personally, we're miss- this comes back to, I mean, we've already got this problem with how do you get Kirby and Nobbs in the same team, but I've been quite open in saying in the past that, for me, our most gifted player in that role, creatively, technically, is Kaskani. I think Kaz is an unbelievable player. I thought she slotted straight back into that team against Austria. Like, you know, she'd never been away. She's so good on the ball. Her passing is unbelievable. And if you want someone who can create you a chance, Kaz Carney's going to do that. But you got this issue of how do you get Kirby and Nobbs in the team? You know, how do you get Kaz Carney then in the team as well? And I mean, it's a good problem to have. But for me, we need our most creative players in that team because we don't create chances. So for me, Kaz has a massive role to play, but you know, Phil has got some he's got some big decisions to make. I don't think he, he knows his best eleven yet. I think he's very close to it. But I don't think he knows his best eleven. that doesn't surprise me. I mean he's he's not just just new to the job, you know, he's new to management, he's new to women's football and whatever he says, you know, he won't know the ins and outs of every single player just yet. But he'll get there, you know, and like I said, hopefully it draws parallels to Mark at Birmingham. And, you know, and it took Mark a while to stamp his style on that team. And once he did last season, you were probably the most informed team in the league at one point. So even at the start of last season and, and, and the season before the spring series as well, you knew what Mark wanted to do. You know, you, you knew the you knew the. Um, the plan you knew the the setup you knew the the, the roles that everybody had um, you know and and I think the spring series especially it was it was a lot it was, a lot of it was a case of we'll play a lot of players you know because it was the spring series you know we'll give players in that squad a chance so he knew who he wanted to keep who he needed to keep and who he could get rid of that that wouldn't suit the way he's playing whereas at the moment it feels I, I don't know, you, you tell me, do, do you get the sense that we know what the the ethos, really, the, the, the footballing stamp of it, of this England side, of Phil Neville's England side? From my perspective and for a lot of fans, it, it feels like he's just picking a lot of players and seeing if it fits and, and we'll put them into that. Obviously, the, the system he prefers is this 4 2 3 one, but what, what's, what's the stamp of this England side? What, what's the way we're going to go about it? Or is it just... We'll play four two three one with these players, and we'll see if we get the best out of it. Yeah, I think I think his style, from whether it's evident on the pitch or just from him talking, I think obviously he wants he wants England to get the ball down. He wants them to play, and that and that starts from the back with the goalkeeper. And the book. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think in terms of uh, we're not there with it yet. You know, it's gonna it will take a while. These players have been used to a direct style of football where half the time in these big games they don't have the ball. You know, that was always the plan under Mark. Let the other team have the ball. We'll sit back, soak it up, hit them on the counter-attack. It's a complete change now. You know, we're all of a sudden playing a, a possession-based style of football. I think I know what he wants 
to do. I think he knows what he wants to do. I think the difference between that and, and Mark, as in Mark Skinner, Mark, obviously, in a league, you can't afford you know, to, to not stamp your authority straight away because you, you'll be bottom of the table and you'll be out of a job. With Phil, obviously, we've been playing, you know, we played Bosnia, we played Kazakhstan, we played Russia. Yeah. You know, you could stick anybody in there and you'd win yeah. those games. And, 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 and friendly matches, you know, whatever we say, we can analyse them till, till we're blue in the face. They don't matter really at the end of the day. So Phil has got that time to experiment. And we saw that with Mark Sampson, you know, we tried, I think between the World Cup and the Euros, you know, we went through the period where we played 3-5-2. Obviously, with Lucy Bronze back there and Joe Potter back there, and then we played the Diamond and we played four four two, and you know we tried all sorts of things, and none of them really worked, to be honest with you. So you can tinker and tinker, and I think that's what Phil's doing. But I agree, eventually he now has to start doing what Mark Sampson did, and Mark got a bit of criticism for you know picking the same team, picking the same squad all the time. But I think Phil needs to do that now. I think from she believes. We need to know what starting 11 is because we need to start working on it. We can't go to a World Cup thinking what on earth is our first 11 and what on earth is our formation. Yeah, I agree. I think that you know, you make a good point there as well in the sense that you know, it, it, it feels like it's gone from one extreme to another from, from Samson to Neville in terms of the, you know, the collection of players and obviously the there was a criticism of Samson for announcing his squad six months before a World Cup, if you like, the Euros, sorry. You may have disagreed with, with Samson's choices, but at least at least he's you know, he he lived by the sword, died by the sword, if you like. That that was his choice and and, and even though you disagreed with some of the choices, you know, it, that was it and he stuck by it. Whereas I think a lot of the a lot of the you know, certainly from Blues fans, a lot of the a lot of the um the issues are that you know, there's players that they feel deserve a chance in the squad and they're not getting there, but everybody else seems to be, do you know what I mean? And, you know, obviously you've got, you know, McManus and, and Gabby George and Greenwood and people like that who, who people are looking at and going just, you know, I mean, Greenwood, you know, there's there's the Kirby playing in, in second tier part-time football, you know, for the World Cup, but obviously Kirby belonged in in the top tier. Green, Greenwood, I'm I'm not sure. She's playing against part time players this season, and, and and she's getting. You know, obviously she wouldn't if Stokes was fit. But is she really England's second best left back? Mm, I think again, this comes back to the big discussion we've been having with between me and you and many other people in the last few weeks about does just club form, you know, dictate how you get picked internationally or is it a lot more than that you know is it being ingrained in the squad is it having that trust is it having that connection with your teammates and with your manager and, and what you're like around the camp you know remember these players for the world cup will be together every single second of every single day for probably six seven weeks if they go all the way and and yeah you know it's a discussion we can have forever about how on earth you pick an international squad i've always been very set on the fact that there's a hundred reasons about why players get picked, why Matt Manus will be in there or Gabby George or Greenwood or whoever else, you know, I mean, I put Farah in my squad, I put KB in my squad because... the, the you exp- City, that's why. Yeah, I mean, you know, if Farah yeah. played for City, it'd be like a dream, you know. But, <laughs> uh, no, um, you know, with Farah, I mean, 
I think to be fair, this is in, I'd be interested actually, Chris, to know what you think about this because obviously we had this discussion about well, okay, you were saying players should get picked on form, which I don't necessarily disagree with, but you know, Farah is probably over the last twelve months in the best form she's been in yeah. in quite a few years, and the goals goal, she's scoring goal are incredible. Scoring form. Goal yeah, form, I'd agree with you. But as a number ten, she's probably but, playing better than you know even players like Kirby at the minute in terms of the return she's getting. But nobody batted an eyelid that she was dropped from the squad. Yeah, I, I, th- I think I think obviously you've got you know you've got age on on the side there. You know, I'm, I'm not saying that, that how old is she? Thirty five, thirty six, maybe even older. You know, I'm not saying that those sorts of players shouldn't be in the squad. But I think I think that Netherlands game. In the semi-final of the Euros, I think that caught her out. You know the, you know the lack of pace there in, in that midfield, and you know really, I think the only place you could put her in is is an attacking midfielder, and and the options there. Although she's in great goal-scoring form, the, the the other options that you've got there, you can't leave those players out. You can't put her in ahead of ahead of Nobs or you know the likes of Stanway. You know Stanway's been. The form she's in, she completely deserved her call up, and and you know there's somebody who, who else, somebody else who could play in that ten or, or in midfield. So yeah, you know I think Farah, you know her time has, has come and gone. I haven't got Jill Scott in the squad for the for a similar reason. The, the you know the lack of pace that she showed on Sunday, you know, it, it catches us out when good teams come up against us and they can pass around us, you know. You know, Jill got caught out. I think quite a bit in that second half. She put herself about. Um, you know, and obviously she's always got, uh, you know, a, a trick and and a, and a bit of a bit of technical ability. You know, to, to play in that midfield. But yeah, certainly that's that that would be my reason for Farrah. I think she got, you know, she got found out pace wise in the Euros. So I don't think I don't think they'd be looking at it again now, two years down the line. Yeah, I mean, it's not something I necessarily disagree. I, I certainly wouldn't use her as a four. I think that was a big mistake by Mark. Yeah, um, and a big mistake by Phil to use her there against Germany. I think Farah now is a ten, but you know, and again, this 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 completely comes back to what me and you have been speaking about a lot the mm. last few weeks. For me, Farah, she's in my squad. You know, I, I think I sent you the quote Jaleli said about Abi Wambach. You know, she'd be in a squad even if she was on one leg. And yeah. Farah, for me, you know. Even if she's not playing, to you know, to have that experience around the camp for you know six, seven weeks, and to have someone, you know, shouting at you from the touchline, who's taken a penalty in a semi-final, who's taken a penalty in a, a bronze medal match, you know, and it's the same with KB a little bit. You know, it's hard to justify on form taking both Man City goalkeepers because obviously they both can't play at the same time. But you know, you look at the situation we found ourselves in, and it's a realistic one because it's happened at the last two tournaments where we've had a goalkeeper get injured. And obviously both times it was KB. Um, she came off against Canada and then obviously she she finished the game against France and, and Schiff played the semi-final. If we're in a World Cup final or a semi-final or a quarter-final and CT's playing, which I think she will, I think Carly at the minute is probably the number one. You know, if you look to your bench, if Carly gets injured with half an hour to go and we're 1-0 up against the US, you know, and they're going to throw everything out as they've got Carly Lloyd, you know, Morgan, play, really physical players who are going to give it their all. Do you want to look at your bench with half an hour to go in a World Cup final and say, I've got Sophie Bagley and Ellie Roebuck, you know, two players who nowhere near tested at that level, probably not up to that level physically, 
Or do you want to look and say, I've got KB who maybe hasn't played much, but you would trust KB to come on in that situation, you know, more than you probably would Ellie or Sophie. And that's my argument in terms of it's so much more, you know, I, I, I would under any circumstance want KB to come on. And I love Ellie and I love Sophie. I think they're the future of England goalkeeping along with Sandy and, yeah. and hopefully Megan Walsh. I think I do think Megan deserves a chance and there's a few others probably too, but you know, I just think of those scenarios and the experience those players have, KB and and Farrow and Jill, you know, and I think it's a big reason obviously why Casey went to the Euros still and why Bass went to the Euros. They just offer so much off the field as well and you know, goalkeeping is a different situation. But for me, if they're fit, KB Farrow players like that, they they just go anywhere for me. Um, I can understand reasoning why not. You know, people saying that they're not in form or you know they've had their day now. But you know, for me, actually, their age is probably one of the reasons why I would take them. You've also got a hell of a lot of experience of players that are you know are obviously definitely going to be in the squad that that are you know still relatively young. That you know, Lucy Bronze has been to the last two tournaments. You know, Jordan Nobbs, you know. Underage tournament experience, you know that the players that you mentioned in that under 19s tournament was Duggan in it, I think as well. Mm. Um, you know, and, and obviously Kirby's been to the last two tournaments. Ellen White, a hell of a lot of experience within the younger players as well. Which you know, I, I I get what you're saying. You know, you want players that have been there and done it, but actually the the last two tournaments where we've got to two semi finals. These young players have been there as well, and and you know they've been part of arguably the the Euros final that we got to against Germany aside, you know the, the most successful period for for English women's football, which is why I think you can afford to start leaving these these you know elder statesmen out if you like. I, th- I think the keepers, which is why I, I'd have wanted to see Roebuck and Bagley in this squad. Obviously, Roebuck was there. But I'd have wanted to see Bagley in there as well, you know, because they're not going to get experience. So maybe, maybe that's just his, him saying, you know, that Telford, like you said, Telford, who I thought was at fault for the first goal, be that far off a line. Um, Telford and maybe Telford and Bardsley are definitely going to go, and he's picking over one one position. I don't know, you know, that that might be his role, but it just seems like. You know the haphazard selection process. You know it has worried us a little bit. Uh, you know, as as you found out on on Twitter. You're right. There is a lot of other experience in the squad. I mean, with Farah, I'd be open to it either way. You know, I mean, if, if he wants to take a Staniforth, a Christensen, a Mead, a Lawley, an Ubagagu, whoever, you know, it, it's his prerogative. I think with goalkeepers, it's obviously a much more specialist position. I mean, even Carly is is untested in tournament football you know she's been there all this I think this would be about I think this would be a fourth major tournament and I'm not even sure she's ever actually played a game at a major tournament she played at the World Cup did she no she was the only player that didn't play at the World yeah, Cup and yeah, she didn't play it, at the yeah. Euros either so you know Carly is untested but she's more experienced obviously in terms of her age and, and where she's been you know she's won a lot of titles with with Chelsea recently but you know like I said it comes back to it I just it's such a big ask if you look at your bench, if you end up in that kind of situation, you've got two two kids, basically, you know, who've never played that level. You know, with Farrah, it's different. You know, with midfielders, you've got a ton of midfielders who can come on, but 
with goalkeepers, it's such a specialist thing, and I would just want to look and and, and see Karen Bardsley on my bench to come on with half an hour to go in a World Cup final. We had this discussion about Ellie being lucky to be in the squad and and Sophie being unlucky. I would agree, but I think obviously Mary was probably the one who's lucky in terms yeah, of I'm not, game I'm, time. I, I don't think I don't think I could. You know, listen, I'm I'm with you the way the way the way Phil. You know, you say Phil wants to play out from the back. You know, I, I think Sophie's more than capable with, with the ball at her feet. But obviously, Ellie Roebuck has been doing that for the last year and a half at City. So I, I think, you know, the likes of Roebuck, Bagley, McIver, I think that's your natural succession. So a, a, any of those going into the squad doesn't really, you know, bother me too much. You know, but I, I think you know, this was an opportunity to, to give. Yeah, the start of the season, Sophie's had. You know, obviously, I, I, we know we us three know her from Blues. We know what what she's what she's capable of from seeing her at Blues as well. So maybe it's a it's a biased opinion, um, a, a slightly biased opinion from us. But I think you know knowing her from Blues and and the way she plays, the way she started this season um, at Bristol, I, I I thought she was more than more than deserving of a place. But I don't think I don't think I you know. For me, I, I, I couldn't I couldn't really fault the the Robux selection either, and, and you're probably right. Erps, maybe Erps was the one who was a little bit fortunate. I mean, maybe again it comes back to opportunity. You know, Ellie Ellie got taken to she believes when Phil came straight in. You know, she wasn't part of the squad, but she went there for the experience because she was playing well at the time. You know, she obviously just made that fantastic save from Drew Spence um, in a big league game and. You know, Sophie probably then wasn't in the form with Bristol that that she is now. Bristol were obviously having a difficult time yeah. last season, and and Ellie was probably the one at that point to to sort of take up that role. And again, it comes back to you know that two weeks in America where she would have worked under Phil's nose every day. You know, you earn that trust, you earn that connection. You've straight away, you know, you've made an impression on your manager, which, which Sophie didn't have the opportunity to do. And same with Mary. You know, Mary went to Euro 2017 as yeah. a non-squad player and she's ingrained well, in that squad now. Yeah, you know, and she'll, you know, but they will have that trust and it's nothing Sophie's doing wrong. But, you know, even though Mary's not playing, if he's seen it in training and he's seen that she's dependable, it's hard to drop them, you know. what? The, and like I said, same with Abby, same with Gabby. Once you're in, you know, if you're, doing what Phil needs in training, if you've got that connection with him, if you understand what he wants and the way he wants to play, over players like Aoife who aren't in yet and Sophie, it's very, very difficult to change it. And the thing with Ellie, and possibly even Abby as well, you know, Ellie, she's played with Lucy Bronze, she's played with Steph, she's played with Abby, she's played with Demi, she's played with Kira. You know, I watch Ellie quite closely at Man City and, you know, Kira always drops deep to get the ball off her. You know, she always looks for when Demi makes a run. She always used to look for when Lucy made a run. She knows which one of Steph or Jen will come deep and take the ball off her. And, you know, it's even little things like that. You know, it's the same players with England. Sophie probably won't know those things. You know, Aoife won't know those things. And, again, it's nothing they're doing wrong, but it's just all these little things that come together to combine for how you get picked for for an international team and it's just it's circumstance you know, it's nothing that those players are doing wrong it's just the fact that these other players maybe have a little advantage in other areas through, through that's got to be that's got to be that's got to be who they play for as well 
Yeah, because it, you know you, you've said yourself, he, he he sees City more than anybody else. Mm. I can I can tell you now, whatever whatever Abby, Abby McManus does at Man City, you know, I only see a when 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 Blues player, which over the last few years has been quite often, to be fair, the way the fixtures have gone and cup tournaments and that. But I, I can tell you now, and I you know if, if if Phil actually came to watch Blues, I'll tell you that Sergeant and Mannion. You know, you you, you know, put put it at uh, both of them. They they play exactly the same way. We 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 have an absolute desire to keep the ball and control the game. And and Mannion and and Sergeant pick the ball off off Berger and and Haley lad drops deep and they look for them. Uh, you know, look for Haley as much as possible. If they can't find Haley, they push it wide. And I don't know, maybe the circumstance of of playing for a Man City or whoever you're playing for that Phil. You know what watches the most. Maybe it is a little bit of ignorance that actually he d- he doesn't know what what blues how blues play. He doesn't know what Efa's capable of, and you know until they get a call up for the squad. But as you say, if he's unwilling to do that because the trust is there, you know, and and those that those groups are, you know, you, you said it at, towards the start of the show, set in stone. Maybe it is really disappointing because. You know, there's there's nothing Gabby George can do that that our defenders can't do, and that's the frustration from a lot of supporters, mm. which which I'm sure you understand. Yeah, I, I do. I mean, but like I said, it's it's it comes back to that unit. You know, Birmingham are very, Birmingham remind me of Man City or the Man City in 2016. Anyway, where you had that consistency last season, more so when Jess was there too. You had Jess Carter, you mm. know, who's been there for years. Eve has been there for years. Keris has been there you know longer than anyone can remember even, it. even more uh, yeah. years than anybody else yeah uh, and megan's been there for a while and even yeah. Anne catherine's been there now for two years and you know i'll bring craig back in because he made the point on twitter you know you take jess carter out of that unit you plop her into another team and you know she's not having quite the same success and it's that point with Efa. you know Efa is a fantastic player and Efa will play for england one day i'm absolutely sure of it but can you can you risk it months before a World Cup throwing her in with these players that she's never played with before? You know the same with Sophie, and, and it, it, again, it's nothing they're doing wrong. You know, is it just a bit of circumstance? Is it just a bit of luck? But you know, Jess is actually a good example of a player who you know it worked so well in that system with Birmingham, and she might grow into you know the Chelsea player that I'm sure Emma Hayes will want her to. It, it takes time when you when you move up that next step, but. You know, it's a good example. You take a player out of one system, they excel in so well, put them somewhere else, and it doesn't necessarily click. And it's a fascinating thing, you know, because there's so many ways you can argue it, and there's so many things that go into it that, you know, we might never know what the best way of doing it is, but mm-hmm. it, it is interesting. Yeah, and you know, at the end of the day, you know, top players, they end up at the top clubs. You're always going to have more players from City, from Chelsea. From Arsenal, I mean Chelsea and Arsenal have less because they've kind of moved towards signing more foreign players. Whereas Man yeah. City still have such a British core. You know, you've got 10, 11 players at Man City who could be in the England squad realistically. When you throw in the likes of Hemp as well, if you had your way, they would. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> they don't. They'd have the academy players in. Yeah. And, uh, but you know, it, it, you can take players out of a system. I think. I think there's. I think there's different reasons for Jess. Personally, I think I think there's there's, there's issues with Jess outside of just moving moving from um, from Blues to Chelsea. But yeah, you know, 
it's possible, you know, that that Aoife might might not might not blossom out, outside of, of what she's used to at Blues, but sometimes you just tell with players, and it, it's almost like we're asking the wrong person with you because you you know Aoife, you know, you said Aoife would be in your squad and you you see her talents, but other people don't, unfortunately, at the moment. I have to say it was quite funny the other week, though, because, I mean, I was at Sheffield United doing our game and I was keeping a close eye, obviously, on the Arsenal match. And yeah. I was sat with Sophie Lawson and we were sort of chatting about it. And what was we were keeping an eye on it. it was obviously the big game of the weekend. And it was probably just a few days after we'd first had this discussion and I'd agreed to come on. And I saw that she'd given a penalty away and then given the ball away for the other goal. And I thought, well, that's great timing, isn't it? It's typical, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. To come on and make a point. But yeah. It's um, it's one of those things every player yes. does it, but yeah, you know you can go on forever with this, and there's only Phil that knows. You know, Phil has his selection criteria, and he's got every right to pick the squad. You know the way he wants, as did Mark Sampson, as did Hope Powell, yeah, and definitely. as does whoever comes after Phil. And and supporters have every right to to question it. If you know, listen, if we'd have. If we'd have rocked up and, and beat Austria six and Sweden three and and played them off the park, then he's justified, isn't it? But mm. when when things don't go well and and performances aren't good, which we've been on for for quite a while now, but I'm sure there's another couple of hours on this topic as well, which you asked on Twitter, have we gone backwards? And you know, is this England team as good as it was a year ago? You know, I don't think it is, and. You know, if that's a fan's opinion and, and performances aren't as good as as you think they have been, then then people are entitled to ask questions about it. And absolutely, it's all about debate at the end of the day, and I think that's a good place to end it for this week. I'd like to thank Rich Lafferty for coming on to talk to us. I hope you've enjoyed it, Rich. We haven't we haven't uh, hurt you too badly. No, I think um, we didn't actually disagree as much as I thought we might. To be fair, no. You probably got it out of your systems on Twitter, and then, yeah. then in a few in a few weeks something will happen, and Chris will Chris, Chris will get set off, and we'll we'll, be we'll get back to square one. We'll get Katie, the Arsenal fan, on next time. That'll be interesting. <laughs> if FIFA doesn't get picked to January camp, I'm just I'm I'm gonna beg Phil to pick her. And that's all that we have time for this week. Thanks to Rich Laverty for joining us. You can follow him on Twitter at Rich J Laverty. And you can follow one of the other people on our show. You can follow Kaz at team underscore Schroeder, Chris at A-W-C-A-I-B, and you can follow myself at Craig Hadley. You can also follow the show at Great Since 68 And once again, thank you all for listening. So we will see you next time. To listen to future shows or listen back to our previous ones, go to iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or any other podcast platform you may use and search for Great Since 68 and subscribe today. Thanks for listening, and remember, keep right on!